Reading from the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing to your own, as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The kids are invited to kids' church with Kelly today. Noah's back with us. In him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to the world was coming into the world. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be plainly seen that whatever they have done has been done in the sight of God. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they are seen by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night they will stumble, for they have no light. Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little longer. Walk while there is light, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. I have come into the world as light, so who believes in me should not stay in darkness. This is the message we have heard from which we declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Yet I'm writing you a new command. It is true. It is seen in him and you, because darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. 
Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother and sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. The light of the lamp will never shine in you again, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard again in you, the merchants of the world. The city does not see sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp, lamb is its lamp. The nations of the world will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. There will be no more night. There will be no need for light or lamp or the sun for the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. These are the passages uh, that deal with light from what we call sort of the, the, the John portion of the New Testament that, that starts in the Gospel of John, goes to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, although there is no reference to light in 2nd and 3rd John, and ends in the book of Revelation. But you can tell that there's this fascination with what does it mean that light comes into the world? What is it that light exposes? What is it light teaches? And here it is Christ who says in his own words, I am the light of the world. I'm the one bringing light into this place. As we've talked about, there are seven I am statements in Jesus. We'll try to hit them all before Easter. But this one is the second one. The first one is, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. And so it is for this Sunday to try and stick with that theme. I was at a pastor's conference last week, and I had mentioned to them, and I think this is a good thing that we do, is that we walk in one gospel from New Year's Day or New Year's Sunday all the way until um, Easter. And so we learn to be able to see, like, what is this one picture that's held before us of who Jesus is, whether it's John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and then to hear that distinct voice and its testimony to this one whom we see as God, but to hear it in its fullness. I often say that our, our idea of who Jesus is is this beautiful mosaic made up of Old Testament, New Testament scriptures, some Chris Tomlin songs, and some creeds. And we have this amazing picture of, of who Jesus is, and sometimes quotes make it in that, uh, that, that come from nowhere. Um, but when we try to sit with one gospel, we take a portion of it out of that mosaic and say, what does this piece say? These four pieces, the gospels, also have the benefit of being um, revelation. They're in the Bible. Um, uh, the creeds and other things are supplemental and helpful too. That's not to deny that reality, but, but we live in sort of trying to see that picture. Anyways, I was talking to a pastor, and I was like, this year's John, and I'm so excited. He was like, how do you decide what to cut? And I was like, oh, it's super easy. I just come back around to it. And then I realized the last two Sundays, the reason why things have spiraled out of control, and am I looking at this, is I'm not cutting anything. Uh, we read all of John chapter 7, which is, is this test dispute over who Jesus is, uh, and it was good and it was worthy, but I realized, especially with John, I cheat, and I'm like, oh no, I don't cut anything. Uh, so today I started with a uh, concordance search of light, which I guess qualifies as not cutting anything as well, but what I would say is that I'm trying to, to now zero in on these themes. I think it became a little unwieldy, but it is hard to say this is John's gospel, and John's gospel has this uniqueness. We've talked about this before, but as it comes every four years in the cycle we do, it's so much different than the other three. Now, this image, which we haven't talked about this year, I realize, is one that Chris put together for us that contains ancient sort of uh, historic art from the church that comes from um, the book of Revelation, that they read the four beasts, I think Ezekiel as well, 
the four beasts as, as each representing one of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew is just a guy with wings, um, and that's because he sort of tells it from this human sort of Torah-centric perspective. Um, Luke gets the um, winged ox. They're not in order, um, but uh, Luke gets the winged ox because the sacrificial system that the Jews practice plays a higher role in Luke, particularly in the early chapters, than it does in the rest of the gospel. Mark gets a lion, um, and Mark is fast and moves. And what's interesting is that these three, while they are winged creatures in the book of Revelation, um, are all land animals. And then John gets an eagle. Um, and I think that captures some of what the church was saying about this gospel. It's told from this very high-up perspective. It's, it's elevating Christ as it looks down on humanity and sees the one who is the light of the world walking amongst us, who is God walking amongst us. And so we um, have been walking with that truth. We started um, a couple weeks ago with that famous prologue of John that, that, that uh, in Christ he was the Word. The Word of God took flesh here. The Word of God tabernacled among us, or in the phrase of the message, the Word of the God moved into the neighborhood, became flesh, and dwelt among us. Then we, we skipped forward to this, this announcement from John the Baptist that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who removes the stain that's on everything. This is the one who purifies this place. And what's interesting in John's gospel, which is, which is hard to follow with, is one, world means um, uh, cosmos. And so if you substitute cosmos, it becomes an interesting, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the cosmos. Um, it, it has this sort of double-level meaning to it. But what also is uh, the next scene that we talked about, the Nicodemus scene, is that it seems that, that John is revealing that God loves the world, and yet the world continually comes back and dislikes God. Um, the world attempts to put out the light that has come into the world. The light shines in the darkness, it said in the prologue, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's something about the light coming into the world that we resist. It even says that he came to his own, but they did not recognize him. Um, it's a word for us as well. Uh, the next Sunday, we, we looked at the water passage. Now, what I want to say, partially connected to this sermon, is they have interesting stories that go with them. So when Jesus told, um, said in the passage we read last week, anybody who thirsts to me, come to drink, and the living waters will throw through them at the Festival of Tabernacles, that was last week. There was a story, the saying was told in story form with the woman at the well. He lived the story with her, told her the story of that to drink from me, to drink from this living water, is to have a fountain continually being renewed within you. The next scene, um, the bread of life scene, contains the story with it. I'm the bread of life, and it has to do with the feeding of 5,000. And, and part of the point of that one is you believe because you've got a little bit of bread at this big party out in this grassy plain, but what you need to believe or what you need to receive that's hard is that I and better substance than that. To consume from me is to have eternal life. But the woman at the well was like, don't you just want some water? 
And he was trying to point out that there is a water that replenishes, and it comes from me. The next tangible sign, that bread. There's the bread that I can magnify and give to these people and feed them out here in a plain, but that's a temporary sign of an eternal truth that I'm trying to display to you. I am the bread of life. So to today, we'll get to this towards the end of the sermon, is that I am the light of the world has its own sort of uh, story form in the next chapter, chapter 9, of the man who is born blind. Light and darkness comes into that story in an interesting way. Then I was thinking, oh, is it true that all of these have stories attached to them? A creative preacher probably could do it, but I'm like, I, don't, I won't push it that far. <laughs> um, but they, many of them, for instance, I am the resurrection and the life, comes with the story of Lazarus, um, that they have these stories attached to them. So we don't just know them in proclaim, uh, proclamation form, we know them in storied form. We know them in ways in which, and this is the genius of John's gospel, is he gives them to us in both ways so that we can hear and see what Jesus is doing and saying for us and teaching us. But part of what I wanted to say before we got started, or looking at what does light mean when it comes into the world, this was, uh, I, Kelly and I were talking about, like, people love tangible things for sermons. Ah, light. Um, the light of the world. And now, part of the hard part is, is that, like, this is light in the modern world. We've talked about this before. But in the ancient world, light is so much more valuable. It doesn't come this fast on and off. There's a thinker I like who says that, you know, we should all be, like, walking around eternally stunned because we walk into a room and hit a light switch and light comes. Um, I think about that with refrigeration often. Like, that there were people who knew how, all people who survived, knew how to store food for a winter uh, and then make it to the spring. And I'm like, without a fridge, two weeks max. Um, I've got rice and pasta. I guess that doesn't go bad. But other than that, I wouldn't know how to do it. Confession. Anyways, <laughs> that we have light so easily is one of the things. But that light sort of exposes, light makes something. And I was thinking, what does it mean to have light in our world? Or what are the sources of light that we go and we seek and find? And one image kept coming back to me, which is, which is this one. Um, light comes to us through our screens. What I love about this image, and, and I've been guilty of this, so I just picked a random photo stock image. Um, but you walk around and you see people and they are enlightened by this. Like, your face is lit up. I went to a lecture last year in January, and what amazed me was that nobody's face was lit up. Everybody was still in the room. But it's rare to see that. I mean, if you watch them, any sporting event or any concert, like, half the people are like this. What's funny is like it's being recorded in the, by the nicer camera behind you, but that doesn't stop you from also taking in the same moment. Uh, it's, it's, um, we used to have pitcher and pitcher back in the day. It's like pitcher and pitcher a thousand times from each seat. Uh, the Aaron Judge's home run chase was this for me this year as I was, I was watching Aaron Judge bat to break uh, Roger Maris's record. It was like everybody had their camera out despite the fact that it was on TV and you could watch it on YouTube forever. 
but it was important to see it from just my spot. But we are illuminated in this way so often. Um, this was actually attached to an article about how blue light is bad for our skin, which I didn't know, um, but that like we, we are illuminated by this so much in these ways. And, and if phones aren't your things, uh, TV has become the talking lamp in many places. Um, it's just on all the time, sort of glowing in the corner, but nobody's really paying attention to it. Um, this is most common at airports. You didn't choose to get CNN Airport Edition, but it drones on and on and on. Um, and what I find interesting is, is there's a war with silence there, too, being able to ponder yourself. It's the writer Matthew Crawford who points out that silence is now a commodity in the modern world. That if you pay money, I've only been in a uh, rewards room once in life, um, but it, you could hear a pin drop in there. There's no CNN blaring. It's quiet in the Delta Club. It's quiet, I was going to say in the Southwest Club. They don't have one, so that would be a joke, obviously. Um, I'm sure it's droning if Southwest has a club. It's just loud nonstop. Um, and you're in comp com competing to get to your seat in time. Um, anyways, that, that silence is this commodity, too, and we're always enlightened by something. One of the things I love about the prayer of confession that we, we pray uh, often here, we switch it up time to time. Uh, I was talking to another pastor's friend, and he said, it's not resonating, this ancient one, not that old, from the Book of Common Prayer, hundreds of years old. Um, and I said, that's weird, because we pray um, to be freed from our devices and our desires. And historically, the devices meant something else, but today we are continually looking at a device that is crafting our desires to no end. And the posture, I mean, that we have over these things is almost altar-like. It's contemplative. Um, it's soaking something in. Um, and this is where we spend much of our time. Now, the writer Jonathan Franzen, who's one of my favorite um, cranky writers, said, Walking up 3rd Ave on a Saturday night, I feel bereft. All around me, attractive young people hunched over with their StarTax and Nokias with preoccupied expressions as if probing a sore tooth or adjusting a hearing aid or squeezing a pulled muscle. Personal technology has begun to look like a personal handicap. What I really want from a sidewalk is that well, people will see me and let themselves be seen. But even this modest ideal is thwarted by cell phone users and their unwelcomed uh, and their unwelcome privacy. We live in a world that to, the, to take time away from these is to distract someone. Uh, in a not my proudest moment, I guess, I worked at a Six Flags amusement park in high school. Um, and one of the things we were trained to do is if we saw somebody taking a picture of their family was to go and offer to take the picture for them, which is classic sort of hospitality. I still have that within my bones when I'm at the caverns, but most people are like, no, we want the selfie aesthetic. The selfie is the goal. Um, to offer to take the picture for them so their whole family could be better positioned and more smiling and not to have one outstretched arm in the camera is offensive. <laughs> uh, people look at you like, why would you offer? It's the, uh, look at it this way, I'm your personal selfie stick. I will step back even further for you to be fully within the shot. 
And so then what does it mean to be enlightened in our world? What does it mean to have our sources of light? I've all victim to this as much as everybody else, but, but um, podcasts are sort of the new gurus, is that we all go and get our gurification on from the podcasts of our individual choice. I become enlightened on my walks and on my drives. We have all these other sources of light that come to us through cell phones, through the news, through other things, through emails, whatever is forced upon us. Like I said, it's very hard to get any quiet in the world. That's not a... <laughs> those joys are welcome. Um, uh, it's very hard to get silence of, of any sort without all the news um, just coming at us all the time. And so we have this notion of, of seeking light in all these other places in which we might find light. The other challenge then, though, is to embrace darkness, which is something else we see in our modern world. There is no hope of light. There is no source of meaning. This, this comes through us, I think, through some sources of, of nihilism. Did I say that right? Nihilism. I practiced with Google Translate before church, and uh, nihilist. <laughs> Um, nihilist temptations, but it also comes through us through uh, vague versions of depression, um, vague versions of meaninglessness. The number of, of um, uppers we can take today are limitlessness, but they still don't take away that undercurrent of that there is no light. There is no source. There is no meaning. To make it through is to just embrace darkness to live in this darkness. As Matthew Henry, when he was writing about this passage, said, could you imagine a dungeon like that? We build those dungeons today. And so what does it mean for Christ to come onto the scene and to say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This comes from a, the context in which Jesus is saying is the light, uh, he is the light of the world, is the Jewish festival of tabernacles, which we just um, read precedingly. There is the woman caught in adultery in the middle between these two stories. Um, and in many Bibles today, including the one I handed out, it's in smaller font because there's question of whether that was in the original copy of John or not. It is interesting if you read the story without it in there, this picks up with the saying of that I am... Um, that the waters flow through me, which was one of the things in the desert that the Israelites received from the rock, that I'm the light of the world, which is the fire that guided them. Um, so it fits. Now, what to do with that passage? Um, I'll talk about it some year when I preach on it, but yeah, it's, it seems like a cherished passage of the early church, and they wanted to put it somewhere, and so they put it into to John. Um, it fits, seems like more like a Luke scene, if you think about it. Jesus has many more encounters like that in Luke. Um, but this is where it comes from. I am the light of the world. Jesus, Jesus enacts the role of, of the Isaac-like servant who is a light for all peoples. But the immediate setting for Jesus' declaration is that he is the light of the world, that is at the ritual of tab tabernacles. 
first attested in the Mishmah, the ceremony of lighting golden candlesticks in the court of women in the temple at the close of the first day of the festival. The golden candlesticks had four golden bowls reached by ladders. Young men of priestly lineage poured oil into the, their bowls. Their wicks were made from priestly garments. Thus, these candles were in every way holy. When the candlesticks were lighted, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that, that did not reflect its light. That's from the Mishnah. When these candlesticks were lit, there was not a courtyard in the holy city that did not reflect its light. So first thing for Jesus to say, I'm the light of the world in this context at this time, is to say I'm the one who enlightens every courtyard at the ritual of holiness that we are gathered for. The second is, to say that he is the light of the world is to say, this is maybe more modern, but I think they knew it in ancient times too, it is that by which we see everything. Light is what the world is made of for our eyes. We see because of light. It's all reflected light. Remember when I learned this in high school, uh, I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. That, that what most of what our eyes, material reaches our eyes through light. doesn't reach our eyes as material. If there was no light, I wouldn't see any of you. And so it's light that reflects back. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and this comes in some of the other passages where darkness people stumble, he's saying that I am the one who makes it so that you can see clearly. God, when he creates in the book of Exodus, and he said, let there be light. It's the ways in which we come to see in the world. I was hard on C.S. Lewis last week, but this is one of his famous quotes. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but, by, but because, by I, because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's the light by which we see everything else. There's a famous painting uh, of Christ as the light of the world. Uh, coming to a door that's covered over. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And it represents the hardened over mind. Um, but I thought it was beautiful today. What Jonathan read for us from the psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The word is this lamp. And in, in Psalm 119, the word, the commandments, the law, these are the instructions which Israel has received from God. Jesus is saying, I am that command, that law, that thing that will be a light unto your path. I will enlighten the right ways to walk in the world. I will enlighten the ways in which we should go. What Jonathan, or what Jared read for us also, um, that this is the light which will gather all the Gentiles into Israel. To be the light is to be that which gathers in all the people throughout the world. That God's goal in that passage is not just to make a small thing, for the holy city of Israel, but to make something so bright that it gathers people in. This pairs with the water from last week, that the water would flow out of the temple into all of the world. God's goal was never just to reach Israel, but through Israel, it's important to remember, but through Israel, to reach the whole world. 
Jesus becomes the light in the world in that way. There's another way in which light in the New Testament is this way in which we know it is a purifying agent. I am the light of the world. I am that which purifies. I am that which makes clean. This is where light becomes terrifying because I would like to hide all of what I am in darkness that I'm afraid of revealing. We spend a lot of time crafting our places of darkness to keep these in. To expose them, to expose them to the light is at once painful but also purifying. I don't know if this is true for any of you, but the amount of time I've spent trying to keep a secret, to keep something hidden, and that when it becomes exposed, the pain lasts but a week. The pain lasts but a month. Like all the time that you spent worried about that becoming part of reality, once it's out there, begins to lose its power. One of the great Stoic sayings is we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. Um, which I always think, I've got a pretty good imagination. I can suffer in lots of different ways before it becomes to light. But to let these things go, to not have to hide all the time. The last one is, it, is it, 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 to say that I'm the light in the world means that there is contrast between light and darkness. I think this is the, one of the things that the modern world sort of grates against, is to say that you like Jesus is fine, but to say that he is the light and source of all things, and that to not walk in him is to walk in darkness, is offensive to everyone else. But to be near the light, to be enlightened by this one, is to say that we walk in light and life, that we are moved in such a way. And this contrast shows up in these light and darkness passages, so much so the early hint in the prologue that Jesus is going to die on a cross is that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. That we choose darkness, that we make darkness, that darkness is this thing that we can live. And this goes back to high school physics, which may not be true anymore. It's probably not true in black holes or something like that. But um, if there's any light, it's still light. You go into the caverns and they turn off all the lights and they're like, it's, it's as dark as it gets, but they're always aware that there's, you can't say it's perfect dark. I'm sure there's some place that exists in the world that's perfect dark, but for the point of the analogy, if there's a little bit of light, it's still light. As we go forth and try to live as Christians in the dark places of the world, as the little bit of light, even though it may seem like it has no effects, in the darkness that surrounds us, if it's a little bit of light, it's not totally dark yet. And so we shall walk in the light. Um, Matthew Henry has this great phrase. Um, I'm trying to think. It is the happiness of those who follow Christ that they shall not walk in darkness. They shall not be left destitute of those instructions in the way of truth which are necessary to keep them from dis the destroying air and those directions in the way of duty which are necessary to keep them from damning sin. They shall have the light of life, that knowledge and enjoyment of God, which will be to them the light of spiritual life in this world and of everlasting life in the other world, where there will be no death or darkness. Follow Christ, 
and we shall be undoubtedly, be undoubtedly be happy in both worlds. Follow Christ, and we shall follow him to heaven. To have this light here, to walk in this light now, this is one of the themes of John's gospel that he pushes on to eternal life often, is that there's a quantity and a quality of it. Christianity invested, and it's still true, I never want to undercut this point, a lot in the quantity of it. To be near Christ is to have life and to have life forever into heaven and all of time. But so often Christianity in the modern age hasn't focused on the quantity of it. To be able to walk by light in the world is to in some sense have access to a different way of living. To not bump into things, to not be lost. And so those are the ways in which light can enlighten in our world. The Pharisees come at the end of this passage and ask Jesus, who is this who gives this testimony? How is this that you are this way? And this sort of thing. And it comes to this confusion about they need two witnesses. One of the deep truths of John's gospel being the eagle one that makes most clearly is that when Christ speaks and acts, he acts double. He acts as the Son of God, and he acts as the Father who sent him. When we look at Christ, we see God acting in the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the Pharisees are like, you need another witness, and his point is, the other witness is my Father in heaven. Now, what's interesting in that passage I mentioned in 9 that tells this teaching in story form is it starts with a man born blind, and the disciples' question is, who sinned, him or his parents, which is a complex question, although we do the same thing often unfairly where we're like, where's the problem here? What'd they do? Um, uh, social media is quite terrible for this. If something happens to somebody, it's like, well, they did this wrong in life. Um, it's karma all over again. Anyways, um, but it ends with the Pharisees in darkness. If you read all through that story in 9, and this is the point this passage is making, the man who is born blind receives his sight and is able to see by the light. and He, he sees Jesus and worships him at the end of the story. And the Pharisees who have been interviewing this man's parents and this man throughout the story, are left in darkness at the end. At one point, the man says to them, Now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his well. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who with him heard them say this, what are we blind to? Or are we in darkness? This is what Jesus reveals in that story there, is that, that to be able to see again, to have the light of the world, is to not be caught in darkness and in blindness. temple guards can grasp him because it's not yet his time. I want to end real quickly with just another teaching um, from Matthew's gospel that I think has a good connection to this one. Um, well, first, the mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of triune God, reconciling all things to himself. I spend a lot of time on that witness phrase. Mission of Defiance Church is to be a witness to the reign of God. Um, and yet Jesus, what he says of us is that you are the light of the world speaking to his disciples. 
I am the light of the world in John's gospel. You are the light of the world in, in, in Matthew's gospel, a town. And what the, the way that Jesus speaks this is not like, you could be the light of the world if you tried hard enough. The way the Greek is constructed is, you are the light of the world. No choice. This is what you are. Now, I think that we, through learning the Sermon on the Mount, listening to Jesus and John's gospel, we find a way to live and walk in that light. We could do better for sure. But what Christ has named his church in the world is the light. Same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That we are those who reflect and are to be in the light. So the quote on the back of the bulletin, which is why uh, I felt like I couldn't just cut this part of the sermon off. Um, Christians are often tempted, particularly in this time called modern, to say more than we know. We are so tempted because we fear we do not believe what we say we believe. Christians today are tempted to say more than we know because we fear we do not believe what we say we believe. So we, we try to assure ourselves that what we believe, what that we believe what we say we believe, that we believe what we say we believe, by convincing those who do not believe what believe, what they believe is uh, what they believe, that, that they really believe what we believe once what we believe is properly explained. This is how apologetics functions in the modern world. This is how we don't witness, is what we say to the modern world is, you love love, we love love, let's get together. You're like justice, we like justice, why not become a Christian? And so what we teach the modern world is that what they believe is actually what, what we believe when what we believe is properly explained. As a result, we end up saying more than we know because what we believe, or better, what we do, cannot be explained but only shown. The word we have been given for such a showing is witness. As a result of this, we end up saying more than we know. Or better what we do, because what we believe, or better what we do, cannot be explained, but only shown. The word we have been given for such a showing is witness. For us people who know the light of the world, who hear from Jesus despite all wisdom to the contrary, who proclaims to us, you, the church, are the light of the world. We don't go forward with the power of convincing. We don't go forward with the power of words. We don't go forward with the power of logic with us. But we go forward in a way that cannot be explained, but only shown. The word we have been given for such a showing is witness. Let us pray. God, you have come amongst us as the light of the world. We who walk by that light will walk in life. May you make us witnesses as such, as your gathered people, as those who go forth. To trust that it is in walking by that light and living by that light and looking to that light that is a lamp unto our path. That being illuminated through you and being drawn to that. That we go forth as your witnesses, as your people. 
God, be to us near, near to us now. Draw us closer to your light, away from our self-made lights and the other lights in which we pursue. Draw us out of despair, depression, and anxiety, if that's what we struggle with as well. And bring us to your light, so that as a reflection of it, we may be the light of the world which radiates from your Son. We ask all of this in your holy name.